Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been in trouble for something that you didn't do? Completely innocent. Uh, I have, I was framed once. I've been framed many times. I was in, I think it was fifth grade. And one time I got suspended from the school bus for a whole week. I was totally framed. It wasn't my fault. Uh, I was, I was uh, charged with the crime of, uh, what was it? Uh, standing up when I should have been sitting down. I think it was the official, the official crime on the docket for me that day. And it's not true. That's not exactly what was happening. Uh, I get it. Standing up on a bus is a no-no, uh, especially when it's moving. But here's what happened. See, see the, the bus driver had, do you remember bus monitors, hall monitors? It's, it's when like teachers deputize kids to be in charge of other kids to be tattletales. Yeah, so there was this one tattletale at the front of the bus. I mean, the bus monitor. And, and she looked there and, and her opinion was that I was standing. And the truth was I wasn't standing. I was, I was on my knees. I was looking over the seat in front of me because I wanted to see what the other kids were doing, but I was not standing. It's not the same thing, whatever. She wrote my name down, put a couple of checks by it. Turns out uh, it wasn't my first offense. It was like a three strikes and you're out type deal. So I got sent to the principal's office, long story short, suspended from the bus. I was innocent. I maintain to this day that I was not standing. I might've been partially guilty. I mean, I had prior offenses. I'll tell you this though. I did not mind my dad taking me to school in the mornings. And I didn't have to wait at the bus stop. Uh, my dad wasn't as cool with that as I was. Anyway, have you ever been in trouble for something that you just, you just didn't do? It's not cool. And there's more serious cases. I just finished reading the book called Just Mercy. Oh, dude, you gotta check it out. I think there's a movie by the same title. Uh, essentially, it's, it's a book about many things, but one of the main storylines is this guy who's on death row for years and he's completely innocent of the murder he's been charged for. Uh, it's also a book about racial inequality and systematic racism, and it's, it's a really good read. You should check it out. Uh, but it's, it's a heartbreaking story because there's a lot of stories in the book of people who are innocent, yet charged with something, and many of them facing serious, serious repercussions. Uh, I start this morning, believe it or not, because that's exactly where we're headed in our Bible study today. And so grab your Bible, flip over, scroll down, get into the book of Acts. We are continuing in this series that we've been in for a while. Uh, it's in the New Testament of the Bible. It's essentially the story of how the church began. And so we've been there for several weeks. We've seen that the church is growing like exponentially. After last week, there were over 5,000 believers. And this is still the first, you know, few weeks of the church. We also saw that there was some, uh, some friction with some leaders, some Jewish leaders that tried to arrest the leaders of the church. And that was a big thing. If you saw that last week, that's what we talked about. And each week we've had a single word that was like the summary uh, memory word for the, the whole week. And so I'm not going to summarize all the lessons, but let's just see if you remember the words. The first week was wait. Yes. The second week was helper. The third week, it was last week, boldness. And I'm not, I'm not going to tell you this, this, this week's word. Okay. I mean, the anticipation is killing you. I know, whatever, uh, but it's, it's the thing. We'll, we'll, we'll learn it in a minute, but listen, if you missed those first three weeks, I want to encourage you. We have a podcast, go check it out on pretty much any podcast player that you can get. Uh, look up Venture Church. Also, you might not realize we have a YouTube channel and all of the content that we've been putting online for these months and months of COVID-19 is on there. There's a playlist that's just sermons. And so you could go check out the sermons you might've missed. YouTube.com slash join the venture. That's our that's our page. Um, but grab your Bible, go ahead, flip it. We'll be in Acts, we'll be in chapter six this week and we're gonna jump right in. Uh, we're meeting a, a new person in our book, a guy named Stephen. Stephen was a leader in the church and uh, things are gonna get pretty dark pretty quick in this story, unfortunately, this week. And we, we meet a guy named Stephen. He is in trouble for something that he didn't even do. Let's see how it plays out. Chapter six, verse eight, here we go. 
It says, now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Well, opposition arose, however, from the members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the province of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. This is pretty cool. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the spirit gave him as he spoke. They secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they're spreading rumors about him. A lot in this little passage here. Let's unpack just a little bit. First of all, Stephen. I've, I've told you Stephen's our new guy. Uh, we learned that he's been performing great signs and wonders among the people. A lot we could unpack there. That'd be really cool. But here's the, the big takeaway for me. This, this is, he represents a group of people who are leaders in the church that are not the original apostles. Like what's happened here is the churches begin to grow and new leaders have risen up and the Holy Spirit is still working among those people just like it was with Peter and John and the other guys. And so that's really cool. The second thing here is we meet some more opposition to the gospel. For whatever reason, these guys have been trying to debate with Stephen, but the Holy Spirit just keeps on filling him with wisdom and he just keeps on trumping all their arguments and they can't win. And so since they can't win, they decide to start spreading rumors and they're Serious rumors. Uh, this, remember, we just saw it. We have heard Stephen speak blasphemous, blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And if you remember from last week, these are crimes that are punishable by death, blasphemy, big offense in the Jewish culture. And so Stephen finds himself once again, just like our guys last week, on trial before the Sanhedrin. This is the same court that uh, sentenced Jesus to death. It's the same court that we see Peter and John have to face last week. And so let's see how it goes over. We're, we're not gonna be in chapter seven. So roll over in chapter seven there, verse one. Then the high priest asked Stephen, are these charges true? And to this he replied, brothers and fathers, listen to me. And I'm not going to read you what he says next, not because you shouldn't read it. You should totally read it, but because it is super long. Um, actually, this, this next thing is going to take some 40 verses. It's actually the, it's twice as long as any other speech given in the book of Acts. He goes on and on. He talks about some really good things. And, and the speech is a doozy. It's really good. Really, you should check it out. Read all of Acts chapter 7 this week. It'd be worth your time. Uh, what he does is he uses for his defense to this kind of legal counsel, he basically summarizes the entire Jewish history to these Jewish leaders. Uh, for us, we would call that the Old Testament. <laughs> yeah. He summarizes the whole thing in a speech to this group of people who, by the way, were like professional experts on Jewish history. They really weren't excited to hear him tell them all about their own expertise, but he takes some time. Now, just a side note here. Uh, if you're new to Christianity or maybe you're not very familiar with the Old Testament, Acts chapter 7 is a pretty cool place to dive in and, and learn about it, be, get a good outline and see where it goes. Um, but these guys, the Sanhedrin, they didn't, they didn't really need to hear that. They didn't want to hear that. But Stephen had a specific purpose for defending himself this way. Remember, he was being charged with blaspheming God, blasphemy against Moses, who was like their number one dude. I mean, he was their George Washington or whatever. He was their guy. And here we go. Stephen is blaspheming against the names of these people. And Stephen's like, ah, no, I'm not. I'm not. In fact, let's review. Uh, one of my favorite Bible scholars is a guy named Dr. Mark Moore. He calls Stephen's treatment of the Old Testament. He says he does it in a Christological motif. Uh, in other words, he takes the whole Jewish history uh, and he looks at it through the lens of Jesus. 
Like for example, he takes a story of Abraham and he shows the guys how Abraham's story points to Jesus. If you look at Genesis chapter 12, it says, and the whole world will be blessed. All people will be blessed through you, Abraham. And Stephen's like, Jesus is the answer to the Abraham story. He goes and he talks about Joseph. He talks about Joseph, how Joseph's story and Jesus' story were both the story about rejection and redemption. And, and Joseph lines up with the Jesus story. He talks about Moses. After all, you're saying I'm speaking against Moses. I'm not. The truth is you guys treated Jesus the same way you treated Moses. And he goes on to that. He talks about some great kings, David and Solomon. And he uses the same Christological motif, putting on his Jesus glasses and telling the same story again and teaching them something. Stephen is trying to help these Jewish leaders see that Jesus wasn't opposed to Moses and he wasn't anti-Jewish, anti-Jewish law, anti-Jewish history, any of that. Remember, that's what Stephen's being charged with. And that's what the people in the council kept saying about Jesus. That's what people everywhere were saying about Jesus. And Stephen is saying, I'm going to use your own history to show you that this is not true. I want to show you that Jesus is the fulfillment of of God's plan in the Old Testament, that everything in the Old Testament was pointing to Jesus after all, all along. In other words, if anyone is wrong here, okay, it's not me, it's you guys. You're just like your ancestors, the same way you treated those people and the same way that you treated your prophets is the way that you treated Jesus and the way that you're treating me. You remember last week's memory word? What was it? Boldness? Okay. Peter's, uh, not Peter, Stephen is about to use some, some boldness here. A boldness is a behavior born out of a belief that comes with a known risk. And Stephen's about to be super bold. Verse 51, by the way, how many verse 51s do you come across in the New Testament? Not many. I told you this is a long speech. At the end of his speech, verse 51, he says, you stiff necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You're just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. That's Jesus. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through angels, but have not obeyed it. He just slaps him a couple times across the face. Stephen's on fire right now. He's been going on and on and he can see, I believe that he really wanted to, uh, convince these guys. I mean, he, I, I think he had a, I mean, I don't know. He, he was a Christ follower. I would like to think he had a good heart about it. But as he continued to go on and on, he was seeing they're not being convinced. So he just comes right out and says, listen, fine. You're just like all of your ancestors who rejected God's word. You're doing it again. And he's near the, he's near the end of the speech and these guys are done with him. Okay, bold move, bold move, but it's about to go really south <laughs> for Stephen. Look at verse 54. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him, which is a funny thing to do at people, but it was common. Verse 55, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. The things are about to go really south for Stephen. The Holy Spirit kind of brings him this vision that comforts him. I really, I like that. It's beautiful. But it was the straw that broke the camel's back. Verse 57, at this they, listen to this. This is preschooler talk, okay? At this they covered their ears and they yelled at the tops of their voices and they rushed at him like on a playground. They dragged him out of the city 
And they began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. Yes, this is Saul who becomes Paul. If you don't know about Paul's story, we're talking about him next week. So dynamic story of of life change and transformation. But this is his brief cameo before he's really met Jesus. Verse 59, and while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and he cried out, listen to this. His grace. He says, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He died. Stoning. Brutal method of execution from ancient times. They would take an accused person, they would take him out to the city limits, and they would take big rocks and they would pelt the accused person with rocks until they died of blunt force trauma. Like that's That's what stoning was. There's nothing pretty about it, nothing elegant, nothing merciful. It was a punishment that in Jewish culture was reserved for the worst immoral offenders. But Stephen wasn't a criminal. In fact, Stephen's biggest crime was that he heard that God loved people so much that he came to the world and wanted to show them his love. And Stephen just wanted to tell people about that. Yet his life ended tragically he becomes the first Christian martyr. A martyr is someone who dies for their faith. And Move on to chapter eight. It says, Saul approved of their killing him. And on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And godly men buried Stephen and they mourned deeply for him. The death of Stephen was just the beginning of what was gonna become a huge persecution of all believers. You know, we watch movies all the time where the hero dies um, and it's sad and we, you know, we relate with that, but this isn't an actor. This isn't a fictional character. Stephen was a real person with a mom and dad, maybe a wife and kids, I don't know, had friends. He knew people. He had plans probably later that week. He had memories and a birthday. Like Stephen was a real person and his life was taken because of his faith. He could have been me. He could have been you. He could have been the person you're sitting next to. But here's the thing that Stephen believed. He believed that Jesus was worth following, okay? So he believed if Jesus is worth following, then he's worth following no matter what. And he became an inspiration to millions who followed him. With that boldness, Stephen would become the first martyr for Jesus, but not the last. In a string of people who say, if Jesus is worth following, then he's worth following no matter what. And as we look at this dark chapter of the book of Acts, a couple of chapters, uh, there are so many questions. I mean, like, how did it get this way so quickly? And, and were the Sanhedrin wrong? And was, Pete, was, was, was Stephen wrong? Should, should Stephen have taken a slightly different course? After all, he was inspired by the Holy Spirit, so maybe the things he said were exactly what God needed him to say, or did he speak out of turn? I don't know. What if things had happened differently? What if Stephen had lived? What legacy would have left? But there's all these questions that we don't have the answer to. History has debated those questions for, forever. The question that I think that really matters, though, to us is why does that matter to us today? In 2020, why does the story of Stephen still matter? And so now I'd like to share today's focus word, our memory word for this lesson. And the word is persecution. Persecution, I'm not sure that we really understand 
persecution, especially as Americans. I mean, I've been picked on, especially like in my younger years in high school and stuff or for my faith or more like for wanting to make a God honoring decision when my buddies were like thinking it was not cool, you know, that I wanted to I was a stick in the mud or whatever. Uh, as a pastor, I have faced some level of, you know, rough conversations with people who disagree with me as just a Christian. I've had some of those, I don't know if I'd call it persecution. I guess it's, it's a form of persecution. I've heard people say that right now, uh, our government is persecuting us uh, during COVID-19 as, you know, churches aren't able to meet in different areas. And, and, and I don't know that most of it's persecution. I do know that recently there have been some decisions made in other states where like, it seems like there's an agenda behind it beyond just health, safety. I don't know, but I'll tell you this. Those things that we experience that we think might be persecution are nothing compared to what some of our brothers and sisters around the world are living in every single day. Persecution like Stephen lived in and died during is very real today. In some ways, it's even worse. And when we see stuff like this, we want to say, why? Why is this happening? What should we do? What's the cause of it? Um, I don't know. I, I, don't, I, I think there's a lot of reasons, there's a lot of factors involved, but I, I want to kind of simplify the answer because I think that there is an underlying cause to all persecution. And I'm going to simplify it. Don't read too much into the theology of what I'm about to say or anything. Just listen to this sentence. And this is the sentence. The devil is real and he doesn't want people to follow Jesus. I think that's the heart of why persecution happens. Now, now, an even more succinct way of understanding is to study what the Apostle Paul says, for example, in the book of Ephesians. He reminds us that our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So this is a spiritual battle. And you better believe that the spiritual powers who are not for God are all for shutting us down. They want to do anything they can. And so, of course, persecution happens. They use fear and they use prejudices and they use politics. They even use religion, our own religion and other people's religion to do whatever it takes to take a believer down a notch and make them not believe and make them lose their faith and make them have fear. It reminds me of something that Jesus said back in the book of John, John 15, 18. Jesus said, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. It's a spiritual battle. And it's the reason that all over the world, our brothers and sisters suffer in their faith. So what do we do? What do we say? If Jesus is worth following, is he worth following no matter what? We've got it pretty good here in Wilmington. Um, I love the community that we live in. There's so many great churches doing great things. I mean, for goodness sake, we, we have met in government-owned buildings as a church before. We met in a school. I mean, we, we get to put posters up and I'm on the internet right now and I can say right now to our government, hello, Mr. Government official, I'm a Christian and I believe in Jesus and I don't really have to have a lot of fear. But around the world, there are people who cannot do the things that we're allowed to do. The persecution of the church that's going on worldwide is staggering. And so for the next few minutes, I want to talk just a little bit about that because I want it to be on our minds. I want us to be aware of it. As American Christians, we simply don't get it. We want to take a, a look right now at a video um, that is from an organization called Open Doors USA. And so they got a great website. You can check it out. Uh, this video is about two and a half minutes long. And it's just going to show a picture of what's going on in the world, brothers and sisters, and how they're dealing in persecution. Let's check this out. Around the world, the body of Christ is under attack. A congregation forced out in Algeria. Bibles burned in southern India. A Christian's home destroyed in Vietnam. 
And in China, an unregistered church is demolished. In fact, right now, more than 260 million Christians live in areas of high persecution. That's one in eight Christians worldwide. Each year, the World Watch List tracks persecution against Christians around the world to help us understand what's happening in the global church and how we can pray and support our suffering family. As I stand here in China, I can tell you that behind the numbers is a story that challenges and inspires my faith. China is number 23 on this year's World Watch List, but that number doesn't tell the whole story. I wanted to find out the truth behind the ranking. I've been all over China, and I can tell you that it's an incredible country with breathtaking beauty, an amazing culture, and a history second to none. But the church here tells a different story. Christians are increasingly being pushed underground in China. Pastors are being detained. Churches are being closed. And people who have a personal faith in Jesus are being watched using technology that was never available before. The church is being squeezed in China. But sometimes when the church is squeezed, it grows. And China is just one country on the 2020 World Watch List. Christians around the world are being pressured, targeted, and attacked. The Christians in the top 50 countries on this year's list may be suffering, but we can stand with them in prayer and support. We invite you to join us in 2020 as we stand with our sisters and brothers around the world. Open Doors is serving in over 60 countries around the world, standing with the persecuted church. We'd love for you to join us. We are one church, one family. Man, so Open Doors is one of many organizations focused on raising awareness of and, and aid for the persecuted church around the world. There are many others, uh, a group that I'm personal friends with. I, I've loved over the years becoming friends with a, a man named Dr. Ajay Law, who is uh, an Indian man living in India. He's a, uh, the founder of Central India Christian Mission. They serve India, Bhutan, Bangladesh and Nepal. Uh, and for almost 40 years, he has made it his life mission, his life work to spread the message of Jesus to every corner of that gigantic region. In India alone, there's like, there's over 1.3 billion people in that one country. And Christians there are severely persecuted. I don't mean discriminated against or picked on. I mean persecuted, like pastors and their families dragged into the streets and killed brutally by extremists. Church buildings set on fire. The homes of Christian families just attacked. Women and children being violated. It's terrible. And it's hard to imagine how people could find hope in a setting like that. Just for worshiping God, they're punished by people who just hate them. Where do people find hope in the face of persecution? Well, that's just it. They, they do, <laughs> they do, again and again they do. And this is, this is what I believe to be true, that when darkness surrounds people, they long all the more for the light. The people around them see what's happening and they go, I don't know what those people are about, but man, whatever they're standing strong for, I want some of that. 
the light of Jesus ends up shining brighter in the face of persecution. The church there in India, for example, uh, man, they're bringing so much hope. In the time that Dr. Law and CICM have been working in India, they have planted over 16,000 churches. On a weekend, they have over 360,000 believers gathering in worship spaces. Is there persecution? Is there fear? Yeah. Does it keep them from gathering? It does not. Uh, CICM has established orphanages, and I, I think most recently they've got over 5,000 orphans in their orphanage. They also have a child sponsorship program where people like us could help, uh, to, just like we've done with Compassion International, and you could help out a child. They've started schools where the kids learn valuable trades and skills in a safe Christian environment. They provide humanitarian relief, and uh, they minister to a large population who suffer in leprosy, which is just still like an untouchable people, especially in India. Their medical mission has treated close to 1 million people just with free services. They're the first on the scene when there's a natural disaster and they're the last to leave and they love people and even their persecutors after seeing the change in their lives, many of the persecutors have come to faith in Christ because when the light shines, the darkness responds. I love what God's word says. It says that the light is shining in the darkness and darkness does not understand it. If Jesus is worth following, then he's worth following no matter what. So I want to wrap up our story. Let's get back to our dude, Stephen, in the book of Acts. Remember, uh, after the stoning of Stephen, the believers scattered, okay? But did you catch this little nugget of awesomeness? Chapter 8, verse 4. It said, those who scattered preached the word wherever they went. Just when the, the opposition thought they had won, God steps in with an awesome uh, twist of story that all these people who left this region, not only did the people continue to believe when they were scattered, but they took the message of Jesus with them to their new homes and their new communities. And God ends up using this terrible event of Stephen stoning for good, empowering the believers, uh, not just to be uh, onlookers, but to get in the game and to make the mission of the gospel their own. Maybe what we need to hear today <laughs> is that the, the gospel always overcomes the haters. <laughs> the gospel always wins. The gospel always rose, rises above the opposition. Is it sometimes scary? Is it sometimes fear-packed? Yes. But if Jesus is worth following, then he's worth following no matter what. I don't believe it's ever God's plan to cause us pain. But I also have seen that he is the master of redeeming that pain so that the world can see him. Jesus said himself in 1 John 4, 4, and this is an encouragement to you and me. He says, you dear children are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Romans 8, 28 reminds us, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, as I wrap up, it's tempting for me to totally Americanize this Stephen story and be like, so that's why you can overcome your bad headaches or your unemployment or your, and like, I don't want to like, you know, act like the gospel isn't for our small problems. But I also don't think that it would be doing justice to the story of Stephen and his life 
to just relegate this whole story about persecution to, and that's how God can make you have rainbows and unicorns every day. Instead, I think what is fitting is to draw our minds to our brothers and sisters around the world who are truly experiencing this persecution and to ask ourselves what we can do to get in the game, to, to care, uh, stop making church all about you and realize that God wants the kingdom to be for others. And that if Jesus is worth living for, he's worth living for no matter what. Um, here's some ideas. What if we make our, our faith more than just a social media status or a fish sticker on the back of our car? But we actually seek the lives of hurting people and we get in there with them, even during COVID-19. We do what we can to find people to love, that we don't live in fear of what might happen if this or if that, but we go, you know what? God is greater than any of this fear that I have. And no matter what it is that I'm facing, man, if those people can put up with that, with their faith, I can make it through this. And we let the message of Jesus change us, change our lives so that all you want to do is invite others into his grace. Um, and let's join in prayer for our brothers and sisters who are living in persecution. Let me give you a couple of resources. This might be helpful uh, to learn about the persecuted church. Maybe you haven't heard much about it or you just thought it was like some sort of media scheme to, I don't know, tell stories on the news. I don't know, but check this out. There's a couple great websites you can go to. The first one, I've mentioned it already, opendoorsusa.org. Be right here on the screen. Uh, that's the, the video that I showed earlier was from, uh, from their president. Great resource. Opendoorsusa.org also has a great app and the app is called Pray for the Persecuted. Uh, I actually downloaded this app last week. I just learned about it and it's a really cool app. All, all it is, it's kind of like a news app about the persecuted church. And it lets you know about stories around the world that are going on and reminds you, it's like, it puts that, remember how Stephen is a real person. He's got, um, you know, a mother and a father and all these things. It, it puts names and faces with the people who are being persecuted and we can pray for them specifically and we can know their stories and it can remind us of how important this really is. Uh, that's all opendoorusa.org. The second resource is, the, the website is called persecution.com and that is the, the website for an organization called Voice of the Martyrs. And Voice of the Martyrs is a well-known organization. Lots of great stories and well-filmed videos that are telling people's testimony of what it means for them to stand up. Uh, one of their feature videos is about a man from North Korea. And it's just, I watched it last week and it was, it's powerful to see the faith of people who in the face of persecution say, I'm not scared because my God is greater and I trust him. And to see that these are not fictional characters. These are real people. These are moms and dads and husbands and wives and sons and daughters and grandparents and cousins. And there are brothers and sisters in Christ. They matter to God and their lives are the testimony that if Jesus is worth following, he's worth following no matter what. May we stand strong and shine that same light into a world full of darkness. Let's pray together.